Today we're going to connect with the author of Hebrews right where we are. So it's kind of funny because we've talked a lot about who Jesus is and how he's superior. We've talked about that a lot. And we've talked about worship and how we're called to worship and all these things. And I said last week, because it kind of comes to this crescendo, this moment of kind of, you know, loudness, I almost feel like. It gets really specific. And I think in a powerful way, at that moment... It's where our lives meet the life of Scripture. You know, because one of the problems we can have with the Bible is we can study the Bible, we can read the Bible, we can even know what the Bible says, but if we don't apply that to our lives or if we don't believe that our lives are the same as the lives of those the book is written about, then we disconnect ourselves from the Bible and we say, well, that's good head knowledge. I know the answers. I can answer the Sunday school questions. But we won't have that reformed mind or that molded heart to be following Jesus, to, to integrate those two realities in our lives. And so the Bible is more than just a book of knowledge or a book of even wisdom, but it's, it's where our heart connects with what God is doing in the world, like our desires and our passions and our life and the things we choose to spend time and energy on. And so um, today, I think it really, more powerfully than anywhere else in Hebrews, invites us into the text. That's what I would say. Where do you find yourself in the Bible? That question is begged today as we continue together in the book of Hebrews. Obviously, we're going to study today Hebrews chapter 11 in bulk. Um, I want to pray before we get into the word this morning, as we always do. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. Uh, Father, we thank you for the time and now in your word, and we come not flippantly but in expectantly uh, to hear what you have for us today. We believe that your word was inspired by you, that you inspired your faithful servants to capture it, to tell the stories, to write it down, to pass it along, and indeed, if we doubt any human ability, we believe you've re preserved your word through your Holy Spirit for us today. We believe that you can instruct us, as your word says, in our hearts, that we would know you, that we would come to know you. And so today, Father, we put full confidence in the um, reading, preaching, and understanding of your word that you would teach us as our divine master of what we need to take, what we need to know, and how we need to be in this life that you've breathed into us as your followers. Uh, we give you this work, and we trust you completely with it. We give you this time. Maybe for some of us, it's been a crazy time to get here, and we give you the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes just to be focused on what you would say to us as we move forward together. May you be glorified as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so check it out. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through a little bit of 12, not very much of 12, right? Like I said before, if you've, if you've ever um, heard of Hebrews, you've probably heard of something in chapter 11. It's probably the most referenced part of, of Hebrews, I would think. Um, so people know this as the faith chapter. I'm going to kind of talk about it in three parts with you this morning because I think there's a big section of stuff we're going to kind of rip through, but then there, there's this kind of beginning and ending things we're going to kind of nail down, okay? And so I'm going to kind of stop. I'm going to read the first couple of verses here. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The whole series so far, we've talked about how Jesus is greater, right? Greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, you know, greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than the priesthood. I mean, all, all along the way, greater than Abraham. But, but here, there's this kind of word that says, but the ancients were commended for this thing, and it's called faith, right? And I want to talk about what faith is. Matter of fact, I want to back up for a second and read. I think it's in verse 39. Look at what the word says. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who, it's, it's implied, move forward, right? Those who believe and are saved. That word there is faith. 
those who have faith and are saved. So, I mean, this faith thing is a really big deal. It's got to do with being saved. I mean, not, not perishing, being preserved. But even more, it has to do with moving forward and not shrinking back in the Lord. So all of a sudden we have to ask, well, what, what is this faith then? Like, what is it when we say we have faith or don't have faith? What do we mean? It's articulated right there. Faith is two things, uh, being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Who's heard that verse before? Have you heard that before? Yeah, almost everyone's heard that verse before, right? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The crazy thing about that definition of faith is it kind of becomes something you can't quite get a hold of. I don't know if that's true for you. I, I hear that. I'm like, okay, that's awesome, but what is it? <laughs> I, it begs the what assurance of what's hoped for. And I started kind of praying through that and picking that apart. Like, well, what does that mean, Lord? I mean, assurance of, of was hoped for. I have a tendency to think of hope being like this. Um, uh, you know, are the cards going to win this next game? I hope so. <laughs> you know, are the cards going to win um, next Saturday? Yes. No, <laughs> that was a joke for Dale Compton. Sorry, kid. <laughs> but no, you know, I know we have this idea of hope as being this kind of like, um, I don't know what, you know, like it's, it's intangible. It's like, well, we'll see. You know, I hope so. Like it's almost like we throw up our souls. Is it going to rain today? Well, I, I hope not. Or I hope it does. I mean, it's not very tangible. And what pro profoundly struck me as I studied the word is that faith is being sure of what we hope for. And I got this kind of image because the idea of, of assurance or, or of, of um, being confident, some translations would say being confident of things hoped for, it means to stand under it. But then you stand under what? The hope? You're like, come on, hope. Come down. I'm waiting for you. Come on, hope. You know? No. It's, it's, the word is expectation. To stand under the expectation of God. And that expectation is not hope. Like so many of us think of hope as like, well, maybe, hopefully, it might work. I don't know. We'll see, right? No, it's being, standing surely, waiting expectantly for the Lord to show what he's doing, to show up. That's what faith is. And, and this entire chapter will, will be based on that. Well, I had this great image. I don't know if you know, but we have an awesome softball team at Family Bible Church. Did you guys know that? <laughs> we are right now, well, we got rained out the other night, so we are 0-5, um, I think, <laughs> right now. Why you got to bring that up, by the way? And, um, but I had this image, you see, of, because anybody a sports guy, right? I know I got softball up here because what I'm playing right now, but um, football season, you know, it's this idea that not, you're like, you know, well, I hope there's a ball. But you know there's a ball. Someone hits it, you're waiting for it. It's expectant. You're not staring at the sky wondering, is there a ball? No, there's a ball. Because the Lord is the Lord. He's moving. He's active. And you stand expectantly under it, ready for him. I love the words we said today. You know, um, I'm ready for you. I mean, are we really ready to, to, to act? Is that the kind of faith we have? Or is it kind of like a shruggy faith? Like, well, I don't know. There might be a ball. No, there's a ball. Or I got to go out and watch um, the football game Friday night. And again, same idea, right? You, you kick that ball off. That receiver ain't back there hoping there's a ball. You know, he's expectant of a ball. He's ready. That's what the word means when it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. Being ready, 
standing under the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for what you have. That's a different position than, well, we'll see if the Lord has anything. It's a game-ready position. Wait, it's a player-ready position. It's not passive in nature. It's attentive, isn't it? I don't know if any of you played ball when you're little, but I remember whenever I was little and played ball, I was completely out of the game. I mean, I was in the game, but I was distracted. You know, those grasshoppers and there was stuff and I would not, and I wasn't really focused, right? Many of us live our lives like that as Christians, I think. We're distracted, but we're not focused on what God is doing. Now, faith is being focused. God, I'm standing under you, under your promises. I'm expectant for what you're bringing. That's what faith looks like. And then the second part of that is being certain of what we do not see, right? H- having confidence in what betrays the eyes uh, or evades the eyes. Th- there's a reality then that faith um, itself stands in contrast many times uh, to what we see, right? Sometimes you might pray a prayer like this, you know, Lord, I want to see the world the way you see the world, or, or I want to see um, people around me the way you see people around me, or, or, or how about this one? Uh, Lord, I want to see me the way you see, because the, the implication here is that um, we're called to be certain of what is not obvious to the way we see naturally. On the surface, it looks one way, but through faith, there's something else happening. That idea, that reality, has the potential to transform your life alone. Later on, we're going to end up closing this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Right? What are you watching? What, what game are you paying attention to? What do you think the score is right now? Because it's easy to be deceived by what we see. But no, faith is being confident in what we do not see. Wait, and that, the author of Hebrews says, is what the ancients were commended for. <laughs> Wait, that is what the saints or the elders, the presbytos, the leaders in the history of God's faith were commended for. He witnessed through them, those leaders, because of faith. So that's, that's what faith um, is. That's the definition. I hope that kind of fleshes it out a little bit for you, makes it more tangible than this kind of ethereal thing out here, you know? But check it out. What does faith look like then? And this is where we get to the kind of the bulk of today's text. Um, Faith is action. That's the reality I came away from this text with, is faith is action. It's not an idea. It's not a heart condition. It's not not, not something you think of. It's a reality manifest in our lives together as we follow Jesus. Check it out with me. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. That means God created. He didn't reorganize. He didn't have have a perpetual state of things and then things reshifted and now stuff was here in a different way. No, it was nothing and became something because God spoke. He created it. That's what we understand by faith. Look at the, what it says, oh, by faith we what? Understand, right? By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By the way, I'm going to roll through these and I want to stop once in a while and kind of dig out a nugget when we find them and see what the word says there because there's some kind of breaks in this. It's interesting. But by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. You can Check this out in the First Testament. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Enoch is the first kind of stopping point in this story of faith that we, we go, wait a minute, it's a little different, right? What, what's being said here? It's pretty obvious. You can't please God without faith. 
right? You go, well, Bill, why are you talking to me, right? I can't please God without faith. That's what the word says. It is impossible, not possible, to please God without faith, without those two things, standing in a ready position, watching the ball, right? Ready, ready for what God's doing. You can't please God without doing that, and you can't please God without, you know, being confident in things that you don't see. I think m- many of us in our lives, we would love to um, have a, uh, a seen faith, Why do you believe that? Because I see it right there. Proven every time, like a machine, guaranteed. That's what we want our faith to be. But that's exactly what Scripture says. It's not. It's not a machine. He's a living, breathing person active in this world. Not a widget, not a slot machine. He's God. And and so therefore, um, our faith is required to even please God. Um, It says a couple other things, right? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And look what else it says. Because anyone who comes to him, if you're going to come to God, and man, what a great opportunity we have just to come to God. Like the the door that Jesus opened by his body is radical. we could just come to the holy presence of God who spoke the universe into existence and we can address him as a father is a radical reality for our lives. And he says, because anyone who comes to him has to do two things. They have to believe he exists, right? And that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Like, I don't even believe God exists. That's one thing you have to do. If you have faith, you must believe God exists. And then you must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't that interesting? So there's kind of two requirements here. He says, first is you have to believe God's real. And secondly, you have to believe that God um, blesses those who seek him. Blesses and not curses, right? Oh. This teaching is not just found here. It's found in Jesus' own mouth, you know. Which of you, your son, comes and asks for something good, but give him something bad? If you, though you're evil, not have to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts if you ask? My favorite verse in the Bible, ask, seek, knock, right? Because everyone who asks is answered, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door is open. Radical teaching. You, you, to have faith, you must do those two things, and then only by acting on those two things can we please God. That's what the scripture says there. Check it out, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when he warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world. What? By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger living in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him of the same promise. For he was, what an awesome image, by the way, three generations of people living in tents. Three generations living in tents, expecting God to keep his word. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was, cons- um, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Or Sarah was able to bear children by faith. Verse 12, and so from this one man, he, and he is good as dead, which is a funny way to, you know, talk, say he's old, <laughs> um, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All descendants came through Abraham and the promise and faith. 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Hmm. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that is theirs. If they had been thinking the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But instead, listen to the word, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Three generations living in tents, right? Expecting something better that God will bring. And the word says this, they were, I want to stop here for this little 13. They were living by faith when they died. We've talked about this a lot at Family Bible Church, right? What is the goal of our faith? What is the end of our faith? Sometimes for us, we can become so temporal that we think, uh, the goal of my faith is to survive the day. Maybe the goal of our faith is to survive the next conversation we're going to have, or the next moment of life, right? The goal of our faith is to preserve us at all costs. But the reality is, and it's reflected here in Scripture, all these people were still living by faith when they died. The reality is that Paul says, run the race to completion. I, I finished it. Finish the work that God started. Get over the finish line, right? We are such a temporary uh, people. We, we want instant gratification. We want success now. We, we don't have tolerance or patience for anything. It takes a long time, even though a fruit of the Spirit is patience. We ignore that. I know, but he likes impatient people because they're getting things done. Listen, it's about finishing the race well. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about running with God until the end, till your last breath, the desire. I believe the God-instilled desire is not to survive a moment or an hour or a day or a month or a week or a year, but at the end of our lives be found as those who are faithful. What does the word say? We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Believing, expecting, ready. That's how we're called to live our lives until the very end. All of a sudden, this continuum of faith doesn't stop because you're too young or too old. It's the whole lives are after God, pursuing um, him and what he has for us. They didn't receive, look at the things that they were promised. They didn't even get them. In other words, their last breath, they expected, God's going to make a way, God's going to make a way, and they're gone, <laughs> you know? But they died in faith. I had some conversations with people um, about how salvation works, and, you know, well, how does that work then? I mean, because obviously the author of Hebrews says, you know, these are saints. These are, these are faithful leaders or, or overseers of the ministry of the Lord. Um, they were saved by the gospel of Jesus. That, that moment was rewarded. That moment of belief was honored by the coming of the Messiah, the redemption of their sin, the, the permanence of the kingdom of heaven, um, the eternal glory that they entered into, all rewarded in that moment. They kept the faith until they died. What a, what a, great, um, what a great reality there. They, they, saw and they saw them and only welcomed them from a distance. These are the promises, right? And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Man, this is another little thing here. Do you ever feel like you just don't fit? <laughs> you know, like some of us have that experience as a human. Like, I mean, just in our flesh, we don't quite fit with one another. Like, oh, we're just a little different, you know? Um, part of growing up is realizing that we don't quite fit in any particular category sometimes. We try, we try to kind of get together in groups and look, one, look like one another. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that friends look alike? Like, we went out the other night, we grabbed some Bobby's ice cream last night, and I was kind of watching people in the line, and, um, and, and we spent the day out, like, in, in public. <laughs> Not that that's a big deal, but, you know, and we... Do you watch, though, when you're out in public? Or are you, like, so caught up in your... But do you guys notice, like, you kind of look like your friends? Have you ever caught on to that, you know? Like, um, someone just said recently, like, the world's going... Uh, this is probably someone who's old. They said the world's going punk rock, and they're kind of excited about it, you know? Um, some people call it hipster, right? But um, there's this kind of idea that the world's changing, and people are excited because they've been doing it... They're like, yeah, they're going to finally join us. We have this tendency to look like those we hang around. We have a tendency to take on the same appearance or clothes or hairstyles, emulate one another, show up. I'm telling you, for real, right? We have steak nights for men's steak nights. There's part of men's steak night where I walk around like, this is what it looks like to be a man, you know? Checking out the other guys in the room. This is what it looks like to be a man. 
Some of you guys are husbands or fathers. I watch you. This is what it looks like to be a husband or, or a father. That's what it looks like. That's how you carry yourself. This is what you do, right? But there's this reality in Hebrews here where it says, they considered themselves aliens and strangers in the land. Not quite fitting. I actually believe that there's part, if we're honest, there's part of our following of Jesus that makes us uncomfortable. As much as we can kind of muster and we can look like 85% like others, we can pre- pretend to be, yeah, we're all the same, you know, but there's some inward part of us that's, that's not settled in it. The great thing is that when we're around um, those who know Christ as Savior, we have a kinship and a bond, and we're like, yeah, it's like a foretaste of heaven. We know, oh, that's my people. These are my people. And yet then we hang out long enough, you know, um, all of a sudden we start to kind of Oh, I'm not, I'm different. I don't quite fit. Oh, and you feel like a stranger or an alien. Isn't that a crazy turn of phrase? Aliens and strangers in the land, they consider themselves that. Because people who, see, who say such things show that they are looking forward to a country that they absolutely belong to. I mean, we talked a minute ago about being on Mission Family Bible Church. We're trying, right, to go deeper together. But I believe that in heaven we will be fulfilled. We will fit. Huh. All, all the quirkiness of how you're made, of, of who you are, of the stuff that you didn't quite ever understand about yourself uh, will be revealed in glory in the Lord's presence. And that's a radical concept. And that's a radical concept that the Scripture seems to be calling us to live out now. What? By faith. God, you know me intimately. You made me. You put me here. And so we begin to walk that stuff out, finding a place to belong, hearing the call to our home with the Lord. Not, you know what I'm saying though, like, yes, a people where I can belong, a country to call my own. This is crazy too, because it's written to the people of Israel, right, who are believing in Jesus, who might be saying, well, Israel is our home. That's where we belong. No, they lived as aliens and strangers on earth. You'll hear that in a minute. It becomes obvious. It's not just talking about when they were in the desert. 14, people who say such things show that they are longing for a country not their own. 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they could easily have gone back. <laughs> you know, so if that's what you're talking about, you could go back. No, instead they went forward because they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He identifies with those who don't quite fit or belong. Those who are honest enough to admit, man, there's something that I just am unsettled with, Lord, in this because he has prepared for them a city. It's good stuff. 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Watch the progression here. And he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You remember, Sarah was able, she was barren. She was able by faith to give birth. 18. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 19. Abraham responded that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Watch the progression. 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. The generations began to bless the generations. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Again, a great image of being old and worshipping God, that we don't run out of road, that we don't have to quit or become, you know, I mean, there's this tragedy of how we treat elderly people in our, in our country in particular because they have no purpose. But here, look, he's leaning on his staff and he's worshipping the Lord. What a beautiful image of faith. 22, by faith Joseph, when his end was near, there it is again, running the race to the end, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. 
He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. That's another one of those nuggets. I want to stop and look at it. He chose, in verse 25, to be mistreated along with the people of God instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a short time. Do you think that's a real temptation for us? Life in faith is hard. Life in the church is hard. I mean the big C church. Every time I hear someone else that's struggling or, or hurting, or I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tendency to go two ways. One is to enter in, in and that's, I think, the Spirit of God, to enter in, in and say, I, I'm burdened with you. I love you. I don't know. How, what can, how can we move forward together? How can we trust God more in this moment of crisis? And, and there's, the, there's the opposite pull of to, to just ignore it and, and to, to walk away and to, to leave, to be comfortable. The word says it's the momentary pleasure of sin to mask it, to ignore the reality. But by faith, um, Moses decided not to do that. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, to, to co-bear the burdens or, or suffer with others. He regarded, look at what the word says in 26. Like, this is crazy because it ties the First Testament promise directly into the promise of Jesus. Sometimes we have a hard time. We say, well, there's different promises for different times and all that stuff. No, it's one God eternally. And 26 ties that really tightly together. Look at it. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ or anointing as a greater value than all the treasures of Egypt to be seen suffering with brothers and sisters, to, to be persecuted for the cause of Christ, to stand up together in love, I mean, against uh, um, everything that comes against us, is of greater worth than all the treasure of the world. I, I can't imagine that there was much um, greater treasure to consider at that time than the treasures of Egypt. They were all at his fingertips. But it says, no, by faith he refused. By faith he refused and chose to suffer with them because he was looking ahead to his reward. Another kingdom, another treasure that is more valuable. There is something, uh, a reality of following Jesus that um, will force you to let go of all you claim that's important in this life, your earthly treasures. It will force you to let go, to claim the true treasure that's in Christ Jesus. And, and that's not a very popular thing. I, I get it, man. People say, no, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. You know, I want Jesus and I want all my stuff. You know, there has been this reality. And I'm not saying, like, my life has happened, but it's still happening in my life because I have a tendency to hold on to stuff. And God's wrestling stuff that I claim is more important for my hands because only he is important. Only his kingdom is important. Only my faith in action is important. But we want to say, well, I can, I can have this over here. God, and that's a battle. And you, I'm not putting that on you. Like, that's a battle you'll have with the Lord if you continue to seek him. Because he will, he will kind of put things like on an even plane. Do you see what's happening in the world around you? Do you see what I've entrusted you with? Do you know who you are? Are you watching the ball? Are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to run? By faith, Moses refused because he was looking ahead. 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He, perse he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Man, there it is. It looks like um, um, confidence in the things not seen, doesn't it? Uh, by faith he kept the Passover, listen to the word, and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Kept it, the sprinkling of blood. 29, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them seven times. And by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
I guess that. Um, David, Samuel, and the prophets. I don't have time to tell you about all the rest of the faith. What a, what, a, what a crazy chapter of Scripture. We have a tendency to do one or two. We either say, well, these are the saints, and I, I, I'm just Bill, right? But this puts that playing, kind of we're talking about this level playing field that we are all God's children after him, seeking him, and believing in him. And it's the same is true um, for all of us. We all have these same opportunities that they have to demonstrate faith. I think um, one of the things that we love to do is we love to say, maybe you don't, maybe you don't. I won't put you in the boat with me, right? I love to say what I can't do because of what I don't have, right? I love to say what's not possible because I don't see it yet. Uh, it's, it's not 100% known. I, I love to make excuses about why I can't act. I don't know if you're like me or not, but the word says that these saints recorded throughout Scripture, the history of Israel, acted in spite of seeing, acted when evidence pointed to the contrary. We love these stories. We love to hear these stories, and yet I'm not sure that we're ready to live them out ourselves. Will you live out a story of faith? Will your life end up being a story of faith? And what I just read to you, there was no less than 20, 21 actions that were listed. Actions. I don't know if you caught them. By faith, we understand. By faith, Abel brought. By faith, Abel still speaks. By faith, by faith um, Enoch was taken. By faith, Noah built. Noah condemned. Uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed and went. Like, radical, right? Uh, by faith, Abraham built his home. Uh, by faith, Sarah gave birth. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons and worshipped. By faith, Joseph spoke about the Exodus. By faith, Moses' parents hid him and were not afraid. And by faith, Moses refused to be known as the Pharaoh's grandson. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, God's people passed through dry land. And by faith, Jericho's walls fell. And by faith, Rahab was not killed. What? With the disobedient. There's this idea of action, of moving um, that we get. James writes it this way, right? You show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Can you truly say, in our lives, can we truly say we are faithful if our actions don't prove our faith? That we do believe, that we do expect, that we do um, act when things um, maybe look to the contrary. I, ha I have a question I th thought's worth pondering, and it's this. If you were to step back, because again, we get this all this faith up in our head, and you were to watch a movie of your life, birth to now, because we don't know the future, right? But if you were to watch a movie, kind of sitting there, oh yeah, growing up, things are happening, all this, would your assessment of your life be, now oh, that's a life of faith? Would your assessment of your life be, man, I can see Hebrews 11, and I can see myself right in there, right in the middle, by faith? Or is your life more like, um, and that was kind of obvious, that was, mm, that was pretty clear there, and, and I know we get uncomfortable with stuff, say, oh, don't, don't ask us to do stuff crazy, I'm not, I'm not saying be crazy for crazy, but I'm saying if the Lord is calling us to be obedient in a way, and we are not acting in faith, we are not pleasing him, we're not pleasing God, the only one in the end that we want to hear good and faithful servant from, would it be obvious that you have acted by faith? Why would this matter then, right? We're going to wrap up with this. So why would it matter? Why do we have to have faith anyway? What's so great about faith? Other than pleasing God, you go, okay, I get it. But why? What's the big deal about faith? Look at what the author goes on to describe to us. Verse 33, the ones he mentioned, and others who through faith conquered kingdoms, who through faith administered justice, who through faith gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, that's an act of faith. 
who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Like, that's the power of faith. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. You know, it's funny, by the way, because if you're reading this before, you're like, yeah, because we're going to be victorious. We're going to win. You know, I escaped the sword. I won in battle. I took the enemy down. But we go on reading. These are all faith. Faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were tested. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword, put to death in faith. They walked around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, poor, persecuted, mistreated. 38 says the world was not worthy of them, not worthy of the people of God who have faith. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. But these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The reality, and by the way, there's 21 hardships listed there. The reality is that um, our faith is needed for hard times that are coming. Um, The reality is that our present situation could be misleading. We, We could be seeing it all wrong, but faith helps us to act anyway. Because faith believes that God, look at verse 40, has planned something better for us that only together with us would they, those who've gone before, be made perfect. What? I keep saying radical or crazy. I don't mean crazy like woohoo. I mean crazy like rat, like foundational reality. That our faith supersedes even death. That, that, the, that the work that God began in us manifests in a glory for his name and his purpose in, in spite of saints who've died, and even um, because and through saints who've died, as we continue to move forward in faith on their advances, on their persecution, or on their suffering, that we move forward with God, that only together would we, they, be made perfect, connecting us then into the promises of God for his people connecting us into the story of the exodus, us into the story of being delivered from the slaveholder, connecting our lives to theirs. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, told you I love these, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, our lives lived in the presence of their testimony that they confess Jesus is Lord, that he is enough and he is worthy. Let us throw off everything that would hinder us and the sin that would so easily entangle and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes then on Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher, our perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who in such opposition from sinful men so that you here will not grow weary and lose heart. Why do we have to have faith? We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we won't quit. Don't quit. Faith is action. I don't know today what, um, what does the word say? I don't know today what, um, what things hinder us, right, in your life, you know? Like, I don't know what stuff is you're trying to follow Jesus is just kind of tripping you up, right? Or, I don't know, I don't know what, you see what the word says? Sin entangles us so easily. It looks good and you can play with it and you're caught up in it, you know? You just can't get out. You're stuck in it. I don't know. I don't know if you feel that today. That you have this desire that God has born in you. He has born in you to follow him or pursue him. But you keep tripping up and you're stuck in some sin stuff. I don't know. What is that stuff for you today? 
I don't know what it is, but the awesome thing is the solution is then in that stuckness, in that trippedness, in that wanting, that desire that God has given you to follow him, to look to Jesus and not lose heart, to look to him in your time of need, in your, in your sinfulness, your brokenness, your stumbling. Say, Lord, what, what are we doing? He who endured suffering and shame for our sake. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray with me. I don't know what God's doing in your life, your heart right now. Um, but I'm going to ask you to pray that God would reveal those things to you that are causing you to stumble, wait, to not believe or to sin, choosing sin. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me and pray together that he reveal those things to us. Father God, um, you are awesome. And to know you uh, is to love you, but to be in love with you, to, to desire you, and, and to want. And you born that in us. I mean, as the, those who your scripture has been revealed as those who your son has been shown that there's this desire and maybe there's someone here today that they just have a little taste they just have a little whiff a little smell of the kingdom of, of a good of a possibility of a God who is real and blesses his people who pursue him maybe today they just smell a little bit of that father today would would, would that manifest by your grace in a, in a faithful act to believe to trust father we've come here to your house to worship you who are present with us and we come having heard this great confession of the saints this witness of those who gone before who didn't quit who ran to the end and yet many of us today are just tired we're just we're just wore out and father we need to know that stuff that's around our feet that's just causing us to to trip to fall to not be faithful to the call you've got on our lives would you help us identify that help us to see in our marriages the things that are causing um dysfunction and miscommunication stumbling help help us to see in our um our our, our education or our work or our whether what is it that's messing us up would you reveal that we need you in our lives to show us these things father would you reveal the sin that looks so tempting and we we just think it's going to be okay, I, I, you know, and we get stuck in it. We're, we're caught in like the thorn bush. It's just tearing us up, and we want out. We don't know how to get out. We're like that, you know, stuck in that bush, and we need out of it. We hate it, and we know we chose it. We hate it because it's not you. Oh, Father, would you draw our eyes to you, the creator God who made everything? Would you help us to see the path forward? Indeed, I'm going to ask in a radical way, Father, that our lives, when viewed on whole would be a demonstration of faith that you've given us. Our faith would be action. I don't know what that is for every person here today, but it would be more than words, more than thoughts, more than good intentions, but actions that we would test and try and learn and grow and believe and follow you. We thank you so much for the revelation you've given to us. We thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you today, and we pray that you're glorified. We pray that you're pleased, even this exercise of faith, of reading and understanding your word. May we be changed and transformed. Help us be your followers faithfully. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.